tuning in to Microbiome Matters, a podcast for healthcare professionals and researchers brought to you by Yakult Science. This podcast aims to share latest research and insights from experts about the science behind our gut microbiome. Hi, I'm Niv. And I'm Britt, and welcome back to another episode of the Microbiome Matters podcast. Today we have with us Dr. Kevin Barrett. Kevin is a general practitioner in Hertfordshire. He is particularly keen to find ways to improve the early diagnosis and subsequent support for all people with all forms of gastrointestinal disease. Kevin became chair of the Primary Care Society for Gastroenterology in 2017. He took up running in his 40s as a way to relieve stress and has so far completed several marathons and an ultra and has plans for more in 2022. He has inflammatory bowel disease himself and finds that exercise does help him manage his condition. So today, he will be talking to us about the role of exercise on the gut microbiota and gut health. Thanks for joining us, Kevin. Thank you, guys. Good to be here. So let's get right into it. Um, Can you give us a brief overview of the importance of lifestyle factors in maintaining gut health from your perspective as a GP? Yeah, lifestyle factors is something that's really important these days. Um, We know that people with long-term health conditions spend less than 1% of their life with healthcare professionals. So the advice that we give to our patients is really crucial to empower them to look after themselves and those around them. Um, And I think we're learning more and more all the time about the the real vital importance of the gut microbiome and the central role this has on almost every aspect of our lives. Um, We know the gut's the largest part of our immune system with the gut-associated lymphoid tissue that, that sits in the lining of the gut. And there are thousands of different species of bacteria in the gut. They produce things like vitamins and neurotransmitters and all the anti-inflammatory compounds. So um, actually, I think if we look after our guts, then it helps us with every aspect of our lives. Oh, that's good to hear. Thank you. Um, And we mentioned in the introduction that you yourself have been diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease. Based on your personal experience with Crohn's disease, are there any lifestyle changes that you have had to implement and how has that helped you? Yeah, very much so. Um, I was diagnosed with inflammatory bowel disease about 15 years ago. So, you know, it seems like a long time ago these days think about my journey. Um, I've had lots of time to learn what works for me and what doesn't work sometimes as well. And I certainly don't uh, admit to holding all the answers uh, at all. Um, I'm still learning uh, as time goes on. Inflammatory bowel disease and, and lots of, of bowel problems, it, it's, a, it's often a very personal journey. Uh, and we all know that something that works for one doesn't always work for another. And I definitely find that getting enough sleep is really important. So I'm very aware of when my, when my sort of battery uh, runs out of energy and I start to struggle to concentrate and focus. And I'm very aware of that, uh, you know, later on in the day when I'm seeing patients and, you know, I, I, things don't quite um, spring to mind and I lose my focus. And my words don't come quite clearly as others as well. So I've had to sort of change my work pattern around slightly to fit around the hours when I'm most productive. So for me, first thing in the morning, lunchtime, early afternoon, that, that's my best time. And I tend to kind of save the evenings for type things that don't require as much concentration. So it, it's always difficult to fit that in around, around uh, the life of a GP, but um, I, I try my best when that works too. And I guess the other thing for me is, is, is about exercise. So one thing we're, we're talking about today is, is actually um, I find that if I don't exercise regularly, I actually get even more tired and grumpy than usual. So that, that's really, really important. And I guess diet is, is the other bit as well. So I, I've actually found that I'm quite lucky that I, you know, I'm vegetarian um, and I was vegetarian before I got diagnosed with inflammatory bounties. And I've also discovered that actually for me, the, the sort of following a very strict diet is actually less important. I, I know it works for some people, um, but it's still important for me to try and fit as much fresh food, um, particularly vegetables in as I possibly can do. 
Oh, it's great to hear about the different lifestyle changes that you've had to implement with your condition. And you've mentioned exercise as being one of them. Uh, so we heard that you're a marathon runner and have previously mentioned that exercise does help you manage your condition. Is there research to explain why exercise might be having a beneficial effect on individuals with gastrointestinal disorders? Yeah, I only became a, a runner and a marathon runner in particular um, later on in life. And it's something I never thought I'd be able to do. So I looked at people that, that I knew that you know, did the London Marathon regularly and thought, oh, gosh, I'll, I'll never, never be able to do that sort of thing. And it's not something that you kind of leap straight into doing. And it, you start off with park runs and build up gradually and, and, um, and those sorts of things, too. But but in, ter- in terms of research, that there actually has been a reasonable amount of research into the impact of exercise and the benefits of it. We know, actually, anyone that's that's started running or doing any sort of long-distance exercise knows that prolonged exercise can actually trigger loose bowels. And there is a saying that, uh, you know, not to trust uh, your bowels after running a certain distance, which I won't repeat here because of a polite company. And and actually, you know, and and the gut actually has been implicated in a few unfortunate deaths that have happened uh, with distance running events. Um, There was one a few years ago at the Brighton Marathon where, where, you know, the gut was one of the factors that contributed to that. So it can be an issue. And I think part of the reason is because the the redistribution of blood flow away from the gut to the muscles during exercise um, and extreme cases can lead to bowel ischemia. And we know people have had surgery and bowel resections and things done because of that. And they they tend to be extreme athletes that um, in extreme circumstances on the whole. So it actually does occur very rarely, thank goodness. There's also a fascinating increase in the permeability of the bowel wall, and that allows bacteria into the circulation and, you know, in some cases can lead to to actually a significant bacteremia that can cause problems. And also those bacteria we know because of the um, the coatings and the IgAs and other bits and pieces on, on the surface, they can actually trigger a systemic inflammatory response. Now, this all sounds quite scary and, and something we should say, you know, people shouldn't exercise regularly. However, actually, it turns out that those short-term stresses on the gut actually encourage the development of our protective mechanisms. So you put a bit of stress and strain on the body, the body thinks, oh, you know, I'm, I'm, I don't like this. I'll, I'll find out a way of actually recovering and actually be able to deal with it better in the long term. So actually, by training our guts as well as our muscles and our minds when we run, those long-term benefits actually far outweigh those short-term transient things that happen too. So, so yeah, there's lots of evidence about that too. And the long-term benefits of exercise in the gut are definitely really well proven. If you think about the gut microbiome as well, we know that the gut microbiome of uh, people who do regular exercise is different to those of people that, that don't exercise. And there has been some debate about whether it's a chicken and egg um, effect, but actually it's the exercise that makes the change in the gut microbiome rather than the gut microbiome that turns you into a runner. Um, so it's definitely that way around. And I think a key chemical that the gut microbiome produces that, that's increased with exercise is, is butyrate. And that's a really important chemical uh, and that reduces inflammation in the gut, improves insulin resistance, and then also reduces the, the risk of colorectal cancer. So, you know, regular exercise has all those benefits uh, for our gut health. So it's definitely something we should all be doing. Thanks, Kevin. That's really interesting to hear. And it's, it's fascinating how there's so much going on in our physiology when we're exercising as well and how that relates to the gut. There is also increasing evidence that exercise can positively influence mood and mental health. How can physical activity or exercise fit into a holistic approach of improving both physical and mental well-being of patients with gastrointestinal disorders? 
Yeah, we, we promote the five steps to mental well-being um, in the NHS. And one of these is definitely being physically active. And we know that the gut-brain axis has been long been established. And we hear about classic literature things about the gut feelings and gut instincts and those sorts of things. If you think back and um, Shakespeare quotes, those sorts of things too. So it's, it's, it's been known that link between the gut and the brain has been established for a long time, even if, if the actual mechanisms um, aren't understood. Um, we know that serotonin and GABA, they're produced by gut bacteria as well as butyrate, we talked about earlier on. And mice that are bred without gut bacteria so germ-free mice um, actually show really abnormal responses to stress, um, very, very different from normal mice too. And if you take, um, well, there's some studies that we actually take faecal transplants from humans with depression and transplant those into germ-free mice, actually you can increase the sort of de- depressive type behaviours um, of those mice just by doing that, that simple microbiome transplant in there too. So yeah, lots of exciting, really interesting research going on. I, I'm, I'm not sure yet that actually the research has, has gone into the, the stage where we can actually take gut microbiome from and, and fecal microbiome transplants from, from mentally uh, well patients and transplant them into patients with depression and anxiety and, and make them less anxious and depressed. I, I don't think things have quite got to that stage and whether they will or not, I, I don't know, but it's an interesting thing to think about. But yeah, so all sorts of other bits, bits going on as well. So the cytokines that they they actually in inflammatory conditions, so inflammatory bowel disease and uh, rheumatoid arthritis, all those sorts of things, we know that the, the chemicals, the cytokines actually cross the blood-brain barrier and have a a physiological effect on the the neurochemistry and the brain functioning too. And exercise actually has been shown to regulate the the cytokine production too. So there's definitely a huge link there. And we're learning more and more about this all the time, about the signaling mechanisms and the um, the inflammatory compounds that are produced uh, and and modulated by exercise. So yeah, really fascinating amount of exercise. So uh, a amount of research going on into the benefits of exercise. Yeah, I agree. Such an exciting area of research. As a GP with a keen interest in gastrointestinal health and IBD, do you tend to recommend exercise to patients with gastrointestinal disorders? Yeah, absolutely. It's um, it's one thing all my friends joke about is that I'm always talking about parkrun, but um, you know, that's for almost everyone I see, you know, both patients and staff and um, and friends and colleagues and family. It's, it's it's the one thing I go on about a lot. But I know that running isn't everyone's cup of tea, so we also promote walking, swimming, cycling, gardening, yoga, Pilates, weightlifting. Um, they're all fantastic ways to get active, and they actually have very similar benefits. Um, they're not as, as potentially well researched, but certainly the, the extrapolation shows that actually all of those things um, are important. And we know that, that certain exercises, particularly ones where they cause a lot of uh, sort of physical jiggling of the bowels, um, they may not suit everybody. Um, so it's about finding the right exercise for, for the right person and, and just promoting that with them and just encourage them to take it up. That's really good to hear about all those different types of exercise that can be recommended to patients. Are there any types of exercise that you say that should be avoided with gastrointestinal disorders? I know earlier you were mentioning with some endurance exercise, there can be some issues. Yeah, I mean, again, it very much depends upon the, the individual it, and it depends upon their previous experience and what they were like you know, before they developed their gastrointestinal condition and what they enjoy doing, what motivates them, um, whether they're an outdoors type person or whether they like to take part in team sports. We know that, you know, having a stoma, for example, doesn't stop people doing things. There are lots of people who've done triathlons and Ironman um, competitions. There are rugby teams with, for, for people with, that have stomas and, and people with stomas just take part in organ rugby as well. So, um, you know, contact sports is not a barrier to that. Um, some people do still struggle with control of the bowels and, and that can be an issue with, with some of the endurance sports. So it's about finding something that, that fits that they can take part in and some people find those short bursts of exercise, so going to the gym and, and doing a you know a short session 
uh, with easy access to toilets is suitable for them. Other people are quite happy to, um, you know, to use a countryside as their toilet with, you know, appropriate hygiene and um, uh, environmental concerns as well. So yeah, it, it very it very much depends. I think it's about finding what works for that person and trying to encourage them to do it. Yeah, that's great. It's good to hear that there's something for everyone when it comes to exercise and doesn't have to be a certain type of exercise that you have to do. And while we're on this topic of exercise recommendations, how do you effectively bring exercise into the conversation as a GP, especially with patients who might be leading a sedentary lifestyle and also undergoing psychological distress due to their condition? Definitely, that this is the key thing that um, healthcare professionals need to um, need to understand. It, it's not about us just telling people to get more active. I think what, one thing that changed my approach to advising patients about exercise was when I listened to a talk by William Burt, um, and he's the um, the GP who set up Health Walks, which is an absolutely fantastic thing. It gets people out in the fresh air, volunteering, socialising. It's brilliant for people with with uh, mental health problems and physical problems, and you know almost anyone can take part in in that. He said that the key to getting patients active is to understand what motivates them and what rewards they get in the short term. So, you know, we can tell them about the long-term benefits of exercise, but it's those short-term benefits that they particularly want to hear about. And I think motivational interviewing, the principles of that is something that we should all learn. There are some key steps and very simple things we can do. There's lots of online um, and e-learning. You can um, go and explore about motivational interviewing as well as courses and a whole range of different things to do. But I think that I think the simple exercise or simple example he gave was was a, a, a gentleman who enjoyed going to football, and the person he used to normally give him a lift with moved away, and he didn't have that opportunity any longer. So actually, you know, they said, well, "Why don't you, you know, why don't we put you in touch with some people who want to walk to the game?" And they found for him um, a group of people who lived near him, and then you know, once twice a week, they now walk to the football game. So it's only a mile or two up the road, but he now gets that social benefit of it too. He gets the fresh air, the exercise, the mindfulness, all of those sorts of things because he's now got that that factor and. You get the accountability and the reward in the short term, as well as those long term gains from it, too. And and it's about finding something that actually becomes a habit. Um, And we know that you've got to do a a thing a certain number of times, uh, depending on a bit of research, you read the number of times varies, to actually make it um, a proper habit and part of your, your everyday life. And I think once it's become a habit, then you start to see those long-term benefits as well as the short-term benefits. And it actually becomes harder for a patient to stop being active. So I guess it's it's finding that right lever um, to give our patients that initial inertia to become active in the first place. And I mentioned before about parkrun. And I think parkrun is not for everybody, but, but by doing things like Couch to 5K and other programs to get people up and start, start running and walking. And, and even, you know, park walk is something that they're promoting now rather than park run, because actually you don't have to run a park run. You can just turn up and and walk the um, the 5k in, in an hour that's absolutely fine but you also get the benefits of volunteering whether you want to be a marshal or hand out tokens at the end or take photographs or help set up or help doing the data entry there's, there's a role for anybody in parkrun so I'll, I'll stop talking about parkrun but um but yeah there's, there's all sorts of different things i think it, it depends what's available in a local area and it's just about finding out what there is and, and um, making those connections and, and starting to make that and i think the more we talk about things then um the easier it is to actually for us to make it part of our everyday clinical practice. Oh that's fantastic to hear about that patient-centered approach talking about what works for different people and how they can get into exercise that works for them and fits with their lifestyle and that of course is so important for motivation. We usually ask our guests what's one thing they do to look after their gut at the end of an episode um, but we've already talked about your exercise today. Are there any other things that you do to look after your gut that you can share with our listeners? 
I think the um, I think try not to get too stressed is far easier than done. Again, you know, the gut health and the gut brain axis works both ways. I think we you know the, the more uh, the healthier our guts are, the healthier our brains are, and, and vice versa. So it's very important to actually make sure that we do take time out of each day to look after ourselves and, and do something that's for us. You know, if it's being creative or just being being mindful, or just taking five minutes just to sit and think about stuff. I think that's really important. I think the, the other thing actually is about fibre intake fiber is really important part of our diet and, and the recommendation to get 30 grams of fiber per day is something that not many people meet it's quite a lot of fiber but i think the more varied fibers that we eat the better that is for us so yeah lots more fiber lots of vegetables that's my, my take-home message i think those are some great tips and thank you for joining us today it was really great to hear about your experience with exercise and how we can make practical recommendations to patients as well that's brilliant thank you for having me Thanks for tuning in. For more information and to sign up for future episodes of our Microbiome Matters podcast, go to yakult.co.uk forward slash HCP.